Have you ever wondered what it's like to drive HR transformation across a globally recognized leader in its space with over 17,000 employees? I certainly have, and I was very excited to indulge that curiosity in today's podcast where I sit down with MasterCard Chief People Officer Michael Fricaro. Michael shares a range of topics ranging from DQ or decency quotient to a recent rebranding of his own role from Chief Human Resources Officer to Chief People Officer to learning in the field and really where the industry of HR has been and where it's heading. So I'm excited to dig into all of that and more after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. It's brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called The Ecosystem. The Ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am thrilled to be joined today by the Chief Human Resources Officer of MasterCard, Michael Fricaro. We're going to be covering a range of topics around modern HR leadership and what that entails and how that's really evolved over the last couple of years. So, Michael, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you give listeners a brief introduction and background on you? Yes, so uh, thank you, Lars. Thank you for the introduction and glad to be on the show. Um, I've been with uh, MasterCard now for nearly seven years and in the role of Chief Human Resource Officer uh, for the last three. In fact, uh, I've just uh, announced recently that my title now is actually Chief People Officer. So uh, ah. that's what I'll be going on from uh, from here on. Interesting. You know, I actually I want to start there. I'm curious what uh, what kind of inspired the shift from CHRO to Chief People Officer. So really, it was uh, the key thing is just the evolution of the company um, and the focus on culture. And HR still has uh, remnants of a focus on uh, on process and and systems. And uh, we just felt that now was the right time uh, for my role and for the function uh, to be known as the as the people function. Hence the uh, hence the shift. Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting to to hear that because I think a lot of times. When you see the title CPO today, uh, often it's in tech companies, it's in you know VC-backed companies. I think larger, uh, you know, global organizations, enterprise organizations tend to still have the CHRO as a title. So very interesting to see kind of uh, your and Mastercard shift towards towards embracing that people function and and the reason behind it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we'll talk about uh, through this conversation will focus on culture and uh, and what we're focused on as a as a company and learning and uh, and you'll start to see why it actually makes sense to have this shift to to people yeah and so let's dig right into that you know I was uh, I saw earlier this year you gave a presentation and talked about this idea of DQ or decency quotient uh, and I would love for you to just expand on that a little bit in particular for listeners that uh, that haven't seen the video and I'll go ahead and embed a link to that in the show description. But if you could just give a description of, of what is decency quotient. 
Yes. Yeah, so let me give a bit of context. So, you know, every organization wants the best talent uh, to drive their strategy. And so typically the profile of the people that you recruit and retain um, have high level of, of intelligence. They're capable. They've got great experience. Uh, they relate well with each other. So you've got the IQ and the EQ component. Um, but our CEO actually uh, coined the term DQ, um, this decency quotient, and felt that as society has been shifting and the responsibility of corporations as well uh, in responding to a number of large societal trends, there was a sense that um, organizations also need to, to shift. And so he came up with this whole notion of uh, what's important in organizations is a sense of decency. Um, and so we actually used that uh, a few years ago to say that the fabric of MasterCard and what will set us apart um, is all the things that other organizations doing plus this, uh, this lens of decency quotient. And so we have a core objective in our corporate objectives which is about uh, driving a winning culture with decency at its core. And what that simply means is that, you know, we still want to compete. We still want to ensure that we've got the best products and services out there. Um, we've got competitors right around the world, but we want to do it with a heart and we want to be able to treat people with respect um, and dignity. And so that a lot, that really explains the how in the way that we go about um, instilling that in our organization. Yeah. And so I'm curious, especially for an organization of your size, how do you go about embedding and kind of operationalizing DQ into the organization? Yes, yeah, so there are a number of things that we do. I mean, we've got a number of practices in our organization. So one, one good example is uh, volunteerism. So we have a um, five days of leave for every employee around the organization to, um, to participate in volunteerism. And it's one of those benefits that we offer employees, which has the highest level of, uh, of attractiveness. When we do employee surveys, we see a high correlation between people's level of satisfaction, where they've actually participated in volunteer initiatives. So there is this whole component around um, social good um, and individuals having the opportunity to, to play on that as well. So that's one. Um, we've also done a lot of uh, public and private partnerships. So uh, organizations like the Red Cross or the World Food Program, we actually uh, enable our employees to participate in initiatives, whether it's uh, some form of a crisis or some kind of uh, activity where they're providing their skills and their expertise to some of these uh, charitable causes around the world. Equally, if someone has a... Um, uh, a community, uh, you know, initiative like a food bank and so forth, they're allowed to do that as well. So th it's something that's embedded deep in the, in the organizational culture. The other aspect is um, when we talk about DQ, it also shows up in practices like this year, we rolled out um, development cards um, and every one of the 17,000 employees across the, uh, across the company uh, actually had conversations with their manager about their strengths, their development areas, uh, what kind of development they need to be able to support and strengthen those development areas, and then what their career aspirations are. And again, that's another way of reinforcing this decency quotient that we're equally interested in how jobs are done, but also equally 
interested in how people are looking at their career and their interests across the organization. So they're just two good examples of that. Yeah, interesting. And, and with a with an employee size of seventeen thousand, I'm curious, how is your uh, you know HR and or do you, do you refer to your team as the people team now, or is the team still the HR team? Well, it's interesting you ask because right now I've got a competition within the uh, the function. Uh, we've put out a couple of names and uh, inviting the uh, the members of the team to uh, to select the name of the of the function going forward. Very so right now it's still called the HR function. Yeah. All right. Can you, can you shed any uh, any any light any any previews of what some of the other names you're considering, or or, uh, or do you need to hold on that until <laughs> it's been selected? No, we've got a couple of names like uh, people and organization, uh, people and culture. Uh, we have one people and resources is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also uh, left the option to keep it as human resources, and then we have an open field to allow the uh, the employees to use their creativity to come up with uh, their own ideas. So it's early days in terms of the survey. Uh, and by the end of this week, we'll get an indication of to where where the name may may sit. Got it. So how, what is your uh, the structure of your team? How many how many people do you have within the HR function kind of supporting those 17,000 employees? Yeah, so we have around 400 people uh, in the human resources function. Um, and so it's, it's structured in a fairly similar model to most organizations. So we have uh, HR business partners uh, that have the client interaction and are focusing on you know, areas like talent, um, organizational change, organization design, um, M&A, so merge and acquisition and integration and culture. Um, so they're our strategic HR business partners. We then have uh, various centers of expertise. So that's divided between uh, workplace research and insights, uh, which is very much focused on data uh, and future strategic workforce planning. Uh, I have a COE that focuses on talent and performance management. I have one, obviously, which is talent acquisition, uh, which we've called it enterprise capability because it's really critical to focus on um, on talent acquisition not as a process but actually as a core enabler mm. for driving the enterprise forward which is why it's called enterprise capability yeah. and with and within that um, that area we've got a, a group which is um, around uh, organizational excellence which is basically looking at the um, the processes and systems that we have around uh, people risk uh, looking at how we can become more efficient in the, some of our processes to take some of the transactional work um, away um, and looking at other trends, things like um, contingent workers. Um, and then the final one, obviously, is around uh, performance and reward, which is obviously compensation and benefits. Yeah, That's essentially the structure. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's interesting kind of breaking that down. I, I like the way you framed talent acquisition uh, in terms of org capabilities, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and it does kind of move away from the the idea of of recruiting being more of a transactional uh, entity within the business, uh, and kind of frames it, I think, in the way that it actually impacts the business. So that's a uh, that's yeah. very interesting. Um, one of the the topics that I know you're you're particularly passionate about is learning, and uh, that's something that we have in common. I think when you look at modern HR and how the field and the industry is evolving, um, the ability for HR practitioners to 
continue to kind of develop their skills and, and keep pace with the changes that are happening all around us is vital. And you had a quote that I read that, that really stood out to me, which was, learning is the true currency of today's economy. And I'm curious, where did that come from? And, and can you expand a bit on that uh, in terms of that, you know, that, that quote and what you meant by it? Yeah, so if I think about just the industry that we're in, and I'm sure many of the, the colleagues listening on the call, uh, there's a whole lot of disruption. There's technological disruption. Uh, there's, as I mentioned, there are community and, and social change that's happening. Um, there are uh, potential challenges that are coming from different parts of the world, uh, looking at coming into your particular space of your industry. Um, and as an organization that continually has been evolving, we've got a, a fairly broad uh, three-pillar strategy, which is around growing our core, diversifying uh, our business and the products and services that we have, and building new businesses. So if you essentially um, stand still um, and look down, you're, you're not really going to progress as an organization. Uh, and potentially you've got other competitors coming in that are actually going to begin eating your lunch. So the only way that an organization can thrive in the future is continue to learn, to learn what are those, what are those threats, what are those risks, what are those opportunities, anticipating the future. And the only way that you can do that is building a culture of learning. And that, that concept of learning is the true currency of today's economy I think applies at all levels. It applies at an organizational uh, level. It applies at a leadership level. It applies at an employee level. I think it applies at a, a school and educational level as well. And I think there are multi-layers to this whole construct of, of learning uh, that the only way to, as I said, to thrive in the future is by ensuring that you've got this discipline in an organization to, um, to continue to, to learn. Yeah. So how, how do you take that concept and that kind of commitment? Because obviously you, the, the way you framed it, which I definitely agree with, is you know, learning is a competitive advantage and the ability for your, uh, your team to kind of adapt and, uh, and evolve their skill set and ultimately capabilities directly impacts their impact to the organization. So how do you go about kind of embedding that, uh, you know, that, that mentality and, and operationalizing the mentality of continuous learning inside of MasterCard? Yes, yeah, so so a number of a number of ways that we've been uh, tackling this. So one is, if I think about one of our areas, uh, technology and operations. So our technology and operations uh, function it probably represents a third of our employee base. There are a number of uh, changes that are happening at a rapid pace, whether it's to do with um, cloud, uh, the different programming languages. Uh, the way that we need to retool uh, the engineering uh, roles that we have across the business. And so uh, our chief technology officer said, look, I need to support our culture and our colleagues in the organization. And so what we did there was basically say for every employee in operations technology, there would be a minimum of two hours of learning per week. So 100 hours of, of learning per annum. Now, the number itself is, is not really the takeaway. What really is the takeaway here is providing the framework and the environment that learning is a critical enabler for everyone in the organization. And I think it's that symbolism, 
in the organization to actually say it's, it doesn't matter how many hours you're actually spending, but you're actually committing yourself and the organization providing you with the framework to actually continue to learn. And I think that's such a critical part of, uh, of the change. And, and that's being rolled out um, in different ways to different parts of the organization as well. Yeah, so I'm curious for you, you know, I know you, you began your career as a, as a teacher in Australia, so I, I know learning is important to you. Obviously, you have a job now that is uh, very broad in scope and requirements. And I think in particular at the executive level, when I have conversations sometimes with HR leaders, they, you know, the natural inertia of that kind of job does pull your head down. And it's hard sometimes to lift it up and, and look around and make time for learning. So for you, how do you go about you know, ensuring that you're able to kind of incorporate learning into, into kind of the demanding job that you have? Yeah, I think, look, I actually um, look at this now that uh, learning is part of my job. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and so I think it's almost reframing what learning is because I think quite often, we all think that learning only happens in a classroom um, or it's some kind of self-paced learning on a, on a computer program. But I think we've got to start breaking it down and say, look, almost every interaction that you have with someone else or any, it, even when you're reading a newspaper, it's actually beginning to think that that potentially is part of your learning. Um, and you've got to frame it in a way that looking at it from an experience perspective, that that is part of your job and everyone's job uh, around how they can take these different experiences or exposures as part of the learning journey. And what we have to do in organizations is to frame it in a way that people actually see that as an everyday habit that they build into, um, into their day to day routine. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. And I think you're, you're, you know, getting the idea of, of learning, not being something that has to happen in the classroom makes that more accessible. And, and you know, I, I think as well, I've, as I've kind of looked at myself and everybody has different kind of ebbs and flows in your, in your day and week when it comes to deliverables and projects. And so there, there are times and some people are certainly in jobs that are very, uh, you know, demanding from a deliverable and a kind of ongoing pressure standpoint, if you're not defending that time, if you're not carving out that time for, you know, for, for dedicated learning. And I mean, we have so much content that comes across our, our eyeballs uh, every given day. And lots of times we're, we're bookmarking thing. A friend sends us a resource, a white paper, uh, you know, being able to, to save that somewhere and come back to it uh, when you have a time to digest it, I think is really important. You know, for you, when you think about your your own learning, more specifically to kind of the domain of HR and people operations, where do you go to learn about trends and developments impacting HR? Yes, yeah, so I have a, a number of memberships and um, and networks. So whether it's to do with uh, CEB and and uh, Gartner, um, I4CP, which is the Institute for Corporate Productivity, um, the Society for Human Resource Management, SHURM, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and the other one is uh, the HR Policy Association. So each of these, um, each of these have different aspects of, uh, of HR professional development. Um, and that's essentially the source that I go to for a lot of the industry knowledge for, uh, for HR. Got it. And you know, is your 
career kind of evolved, you, you've been in global kind of enterprise uh, HR executive roles for over a decade. And so you've, you've seen firsthand and kind of through your peers, the, the scope of the role of a CHRO evolve over that time. And I'm curious when you, when you think of the, the role, you know, your role today as a chief people officer today versus a, a traditional CHR role 10 years ago, how do those roles differ? What, what, what has changed in the position from your perspective? Yeah, I think the biggest change that's happening right now uh, for the HR function um, is, you know, it's everyone has got, most people have got the seat at the table, right? So, you know, you're, you're sort of given a, uh, a level of credibility because of the way that you manage various processes, right? And so process, policy are really, really important. But I think that the real next step, the evolution that in the past few years and the biggest trends that I've seen uh, really comes down to this point about culture, which I, I alluded to at the beginning. So let me just share with you an example of, of some of the work uh, that we're doing here and, and why there's a level of, um, of visibility that HR has to play a role, not just with the CEO and the leadership team, but also with the board. And if you think about the last couple of years and uh, reputational issues that have happened uh, in different industries and, and different topics and issues, the board is looking to HR and the CHRO, the chief people officer, to actually have a point of view on the pulse and the tone of the organization. So a piece of work uh, that I'm doing at the moment, and we just had a conversation with the CEO today, is actually developing a culture dashboard. Um, and this culture dashboard is essentially to provide a snapshot of the different elements um, and themes that we have in the organization that provide the board and with the, the leadership a view of what's actually happening uh, from a cultural perspective versus just you know, the once a quarter meeting that the board has with different members of the management team. So the way that we've framed it at the moment is in three buckets. One is around reputation. So in reputation, we would look at things like um, social media traffic. What are we seeing on Glassdoor? What's the level of interest that the media has with MasterCard? Or what are the analysts and the shareholders uh, saying about MasterCard? So they're the sorts of things that we're looking at uh, from a reputation perspective. We then have another category or pillar, which is around behavior and conduct. So this would be things such as um, uh, ethics hotline, internal audits, compliance, um, those kinds of uh, metrics and measures. And then the final one, the, the all important one, is around human capital or people. And this would be things like the retention rate of your key talent. Uh, what is the employee experience survey saying? Uh, diversity, uh, how we're integrating acquisitions. What is our pay philosophy? Is there a pay philosophy that aligns with our culture of decency? And so what we've done so far is basically I've outlined these three uh, pillars, but again, it's a way of demonstrating to leadership, but also to the board around this role of HR and how it needs to have a finger on all of these particular pulses across the organization, not just on employee engagement or retention, but across all these other dimensions, which gives a good indicator about the, the pulse and the tone of the organization. 
I think that's been the fundamental shift in the past few years. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm glad you touched on reputation as being one of the key pillars um, for the role because I found it interesting. You, you had an article uh, earlier this year about your partnership with the marketing and comms team within MasterCard. And I think if you look at traditional HR, those, those functions rarely intermingled uh, much. And I think if you look at modern HR, particularly with its emphasis on employer brand and, and reputation and framing, that alliance is becoming more and more uh, important. And so you know, I'm curious from your point of view as a CPO, how does, how does brand kind of impact your world in HR? Oh, it's a it's a big uh, a big area. I mean, in fact, one of the um, we just recently completed our our SWOT analysis for our talent and uh, and organization uh, with the, with the leadership team. And one of the areas that we looked at as a strength was our brand, um, and in particular uh, the external brand. So if you talk about you know Mastercard, what is synonymous with Mastercard is priceless, right? So we actually spent quite a bit of time. Uh, working with the marketing and the branding team to say, how do we use something like Priceless that actually brings it to life for an employee or a potential employee? So we started talking about, you know, let's think about our uh, employee value proposition and use Priceless in that. So we talk about, you know, connecting people to Priceless possibilities. And if you think about that from a, um, a career perspective, the priceless possibilities could be things like the volunteerism that I spoke about, or uh, the opportunity to work in one of the 77 countries, so international assignments, or working on the latest project uh, to do with artificial intelligence or cybersecurity. So the potential there of bringing the, the outside brand that MasterCard has as prices into um, an internal brand that can help us both from a retention and motivation perspective, as well as a vehicle to help us when we're doing campus recruitment or mid-career hires, it, that's, that has to be synonymous. And there, then you have to go to the next step, which is it's not just saying it, but the experience of the employee has to also feel like it's a priceless experience, which then links into the decency quotient. So if we're talking about, you know, this is all about priceless um, experiences and so forth, the employee also needs to feel that either when they're applying for a job or when they're looking for an internal uh, transfer in, an, in the organization, that that process, that level of feedback and transparency is there. So it's all synonymous and all has to be uh, neatly tied together. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, for, for a, a CPO or CHRO listening to this that is really working on building a, a tight alliance and partnership with their, you know, CMO and kind of comms peers, what, what advice for, would you have for them based on kind of your experience building that alliance within MasterCard? I think the uh, my advice would be, you know, you've got to keep an it, open-mindedness. So being open-minded, there are a number of elements of the marketing function, the disciplines of the research, the analysis uh, that marketing functions have, which actually are great capabilities that can be infused into uh, the HR function. So I think it's around being open-minded. I would say the biggest relationships that I have in this organization, one is with the chief marketing and communications officer. So that's a critical relationship to have. The second one is with the chief financial officer, uh, because there's a number of uh, elements there 
um, that uh, that relationship is really key, particularly as it relates to things like, let's say, the um, the corporate funding for bonus pools and and compensation. So there's a clear linkage there. But then the other one is strategy. Um, and uh, I spend a lot of time with our corporate strategy and corporate development uh, teams as well to ensure that the kind of skills and capabilities that we're looking to train or acquire is linked to our capability of delivering on those particular um, components. So those three relationships are, are hugely important, aside from you know the chair of the comp committee, the chairman, right. and obviously the CEO. I mean, those ones sort of go uh, without saying. Got it. And I think that those are, uh, those are valuable takeaways. And I think really understanding the marketing piece, uh, there's, that's one of the things that I think is interesting about the way that the industry is evolving is you're beginning to see more kind of non-linear career paths into the CPO role and into the CHRO role, including, you know, people coming from marketing or ops or uh, even engineering. And so it's, it's infusing the function with new capabilities and perspectives that, um, you know, that I think ha hadn't existed before. And so I think to your point, uh, being open, being curious, being willing to step outside of your, you know, your, your HR world and really understand marketing at, uh, at not just the strategy level, but the execution level, I think it helps you make those connections. And then you're in a position where you can take a, a, an anchor statement like Priceless and really infuse that into and operationalize that into how you go about recruiting and developing and doing all the things on the more people side of the business that are away from the consumer brand and more focused on employee brand, employer brand and employee experience. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think this um, this piece about the crossover that you mentioned, I think it's hugely uh, uh, critical in terms of the you know what we're seeing in an industry perspective. I think from a marketing perspective, I see things like research and data insights or segmentation uh, and the collaboration with the product teams to inform you know what are the employee segments uh, sorry what are the customer segments saying to inform the kind of product development we need and I think those kinds of disciplines if we think about HR almost like a, a product uh, development uh, angle as well if you take the employee insights and actually think about where is the demand um, or proactively think about where is where is the organization going in the future, it actually helps you from a product development perspective design the right um, uh, employee benefits or design the right learning interventions and so forth. And I think those disciplines can cross over from, uh, from marketing into HR very, very easily. Absolutely. And I think that that is, uh, that is important to point. And, and it's especially if you look specifically at employer brand, I mean, things like persona-based targeting and, and all of these kinds. I mean, marketing has been doing this for years and, and now we're starting to bring some of those capabilities into HR and recruiting. Um, and it's, uh, it's definitely an exciting time. You know, I'm curious from your perspective, when you think about the, the modern world of work in modern HR, how would you define 21st century HR? I think it's the most uh, exciting time uh, for HR professionals right now. I think there is a... Um, a, an ongoing need for HR to continue to reinvent itself, um, to continue to transform away from the day-to-day -day activity, which is hugely important, you know, making sure that people's pay is there when it's meant to be there. Those, those fundamentals have to be there. But I think the opportunity now 
that HR functions and organizations have and CHROs or CPOs have in influencing, shaping uh, the future of the organization, that connection is never more real than it has been today. And I think that piece of work that I mentioned, that culture dashboard, where the boards are basically asking uh, HR to help them think through not just the basics of executive comp, but what are the what are the human capital metrics? What are the things that we should be focused on? And I think HR has a huge role to play on all of those dimensions. And, and therefore, I think the uh, the future is extremely bright. And I think we should be uh, embracing it with our arms <laughs> and our legs and everything, and just <laughs> saying, "Hey, just throw yourself out," because it is a it is a huge opportunity. I also think that the um, the trend about the future of work, um, and uh, and we read a lot about um, you know potentially the threat of automation and artificial intelligence, you know the robots taking the job. There is a huge uh, role that HR plays in terms of the tone and the messaging in organisations to actually say, look, there's there's probably more opportunity than not as a result of these new technologies coming into the place. So I think there's a, I, I just think it's a it's a fertile ground. I think it's a great time to be in human resources right now. Yeah, and I think that the the level of change that's happening in the field, even over the last five years, has been substantial, and that's not slowing down. So I think if you're uh, if you're regardless of what kind of aspect of HR you're interested in, there there are plenty of opportunities and, and the number of opportunities, the types of roles that you can get involved with as we lean on more you know, data-driven roles and positions that didn't exist five years ago, um, I think that's only going to broaden the pool of talent we're able to bring into the discipline, which is uh, hugely exciting. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the, uh, the last question I have for you, Michael, one of the aims of this podcast is to really help listeners discover modern HR approaches and practices, but also people leaders who are, are really leading the evolution that's happening in the field. And I'm curious from your perspective, who within the field of HR inspires you? Well, uh, there's a number, I've got a number of colleagues, uh, you know, Ellen Shook at Accenture. Uh, she's, a, she's a dear friend, but uh, a fantastic uh, uh, CHRO. Uh, in her own right, and she's actually come and spoken to my uh, my full uh, HR team earlier in the year. Um, so so she stands out as uh, as one. Uh, but there's many others as well, and I don't want to go through naming individuals because uh, there there are too many out there that are doing uh, outstanding jobs in the field. Um, I would say that there are uh, provocative uh, thinkers as well, like Ram Charan, uh, who uh, who speaks a lot about uh, HR. Um, and uh, what is the future of HR as well. So there are notable writers uh, like him as well that uh, are hugely inspiring and provoking thinking around what does HR look like in the future. Great. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you making time to come on the show and share your experience and uh, what you're building at MasterCard. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.